Would you turn with me to John? John chapter 4, verses 1 through 42 is our text. If you don't have a Bible, you could take a pew Bible, one of those chairs, Bibles in front of you. It should be found on page 835 or 889. There's two different sizes, so 835 or 889. We are going through the Gospel of John section by section, and we've come to a big section, a big story, and Mike provided a trailer during his exhortation between one song and the other, previewing a little bit where we're going to be. John 4, 1, I'm going to read it here in a minute, comment on it as we go. I want you to think on this phrase, three words, if you knew. If you knew you were going to win, meaning... Your son and daughter's athletic team that you're really anticipating this game, or your favorite sports team, if you knew they were going to win, you wouldn't be anxious or upset when your team is far behind in the first half, if you knew. Or if you knew that the stock you invested in would go crazy and be a bonanza in a couple years. Would you worry about the fall in the prices this year? If you knew that the cancer diagnosis would result in the removal of cancer, countless things that would work for good and bring massive help to you spiritually and the people in your life, would you view it as bad news? If only you knew And we could use that phrase, add that word, if only you knew. If you knew your candidate is going to win by the end of the night, you can smile when CNN or Fox says your candidate is trailing early on in the evening, if you knew. You see, knowing makes a difference, a big difference. Knowing the right things are We are a people of knowledge, of truth, that it's to transform our minds and our hearts. Jesus will use these three words, if you knew, if you knew the gift of God and he who asked you, you would ask him, it would change everything. This morning, I want to share with you this long narrative And then comment on it as we go, and then I want to give you, point out to you, many glories of Jesus from this passage. Oh, I I hope by God's grace, the Holy Spirit will use his words to to woo you to, to Christ even more. If you're not saved, your hearts would well up and say, I have to know this person I know this is not just a story. He is real, and I need to know him. I can't help it. I need to know him. And if you do know him, your heart would sing with love. Let's look at verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees, these are religious leaders, 
or religious zealots, had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea, that's in the area, the southern part of Israel, and he departed in again for Galilee, which is the northern part of Israel, and he came, he had to pass through Samaria. Why? Because that is the way to Galilee, but some religious zealots would not go that direction because they didn't want to go through Samaria, not those Samarians. It was spiritual necessity that Jesus do this. We'll see this. Verse 5. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. These are characters in the Old Testament. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus... Wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. They began the hours counting at 6 a.m., so this is around noon. This is noon. It's the heat of the day in the Middle East. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Now, I just, we're reading through John. And I just encourage you to read through John. Study John. Go, if you were to go back one chapter, John 3, and you're going to contrast the story in John 3 to the story here in John 4 and the people that approach Jesus. Chapter 3, we find Nicodemus, a man, well-respected, educated, a Jew, very religious, comes at night. Here's a woman from Samaria, middle of the day, approaches Jesus. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. And then there's a parenthesis here, as you see in your Bible, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And now we get several questions from this woman to Jesus and if we will think on these questions and we'll think on the answers that Jesus gives to this, to this woman, by the way, this, I believe, is the longest running conversation an individual has with Jesus in all recorded scriptures. The woman, the Samaritan woman, said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria. Another parenthesis, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. She cannot fathom, as one writer said, she cannot fathom what would possess a Jew to ask her for a drink. She doesn't know, she doesn't know, she knows that the Jews believe that if they touch a Samaritan or have anything to do with especially vessels of water or food. Jews are defiled if they're near these Samaritans. She doesn't know that far from being defiled or made unclean, Jesus sanctifies and cleanses everything he touches. In, in the Bible times, if, if a Jew touches a leper, someone with leprosy, that person who touched the leper gets unclean. But Jesus gets touched or touches 
and he doesn't get unclean, but he cleanses what comes in contact with him. This Samaritan woman is not welcoming of Jesus in many ways, is astounded by Jesus. She's not like Nicodemus. I know you are a man from God. She's kind of like, why are you talking to me? Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, there it is, if you knew, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, living water, when she hears this, she's thinking living water. She's not thinking Oh, something from Harry Potter or some magical thing. She's thinking living water means fresh water, spring water. Way better than stagnant sitting in a well water. She asks the question again. Where do you get this living water? Or the woman said, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. And the well is deep probably more than 100 feet. Another question, where are you getting that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? She's referring, we both share Jacob as our ancestor. Jacob, named, renamed Israel, was given this land from his father. And the Samaritans were half-breed Jews who only accepted the first five books of the Bible Genesis through Deuteronomy. They did not accept the Psalms. They did not accept the prophetic books. They didn't follow Davidic line. They had set up their own temple in Mount Gerizim nearby. And she says, but we share Jacob. Are you better than Jacob? That you can provide that kind of water? He gave us a well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock, she says. This reminds us of Nicodemus. Nicodemus has a conversation and Jesus brings it to spiritual. And Nicodemus is like, huh? How can an old person go into his mother's womb and be born again? He's thinking on a human level and a natural level. He is misunderstanding. Same with this woman. Huh? You can do it? Are you better than Jacob who brought this well to being and dug this well in the first place? Jesus says to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty, will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. If we are reading our Bibles closely, and I encourage you to do that, you will see that what Jesus is offering him is the very same thing that Jesus was offering Nicodemus, in which is being offered throughout this book, is he's saying, I am offering you eternal life. That's what I'm offering you. The woman said to him, sir, would you give us this water? so that I will be not be thirsty or have to come here and to draw water. I don't, and she takes Jesus literally. Or maybe she's being sarcastic. 
and thinks that Jesus is a little kooky. How, who is Jesus to offer this? He's a madman. Either she doesn't yet know the glory of the offer that Jesus is offering. But we know here that she doesn't want to come back to this place. We could read in and say, well, who, 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 would, who wouldn't want a way to have running water and actually turn it on and you don't have to go to a well every time and carry water? It could be, though, that she was saying, I don't want to have to come here to draw water because you notice that I'm here at noon. Noon is not the time when you normally go to get water. You don't go during the heat of the day. You go at the beginning of the day. You go at the end of the day. But you see, she had a reason to go in the middle of the day because it's a good chance she was an outcast. She was ashamed. She had a, if you don't know American literature, you might not know what this means. She was wearing a scarlet letter. She was marked as an immoral woman. So, look with me at verse 16. Jesus says to her, Go call your husband and come here. Remember, she's, he's saying, I'm going to give you living water, a living water that well, will well up to eternal life. So you won't have to come here anymore. Now go and come back, but bring your husband here. He knows. Friends, he knows. Jesus always knows our secrets. The woman answers him. I wonder if there was a shoulder slump. I have no husband. Or maybe not yet. Maybe there was a defensiveness. I have no husband. She doesn't want to go any further. This is a sore spot. This is her shame. And Jesus says to her, and he does it. Oh, he is ruthlessly loving. He is caring. He goes and he goes deeper because he cares. And he says to her, you're right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. What Jesus is saying is, I know the truth about your personal life. You have had five husbands. Now it is possible that some of them have died, and she was just a widow, and she remarried. But it is probably far more likely that she was divorced over and over again and has been going after man after man, and now she's with living with the, another person, a sixth person, who is not even her husband, which in the Bible is clearly sexual immorality. The union of being together is to be between one man and one woman, and it is called for life. God gave a certificate of divorce for a purpose, and I praise God that he brings grace and glory even in the midst of divorce. And there are many of you who have suffered through that and yet find redemption and grace in Christ and enjoy wonderful marriages. Praise God for that. Here this woman has her laundry displayed right out in front of her by the Son of God. What you have said is true, she says, he says to her. You have no husband, but you've had five, and you're with somebody who's not your husband. 
the woman said to him, now either to change the subject, but I think to go deeper because she now realizes he is someone special. Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And remember Nicodemus in chapter 3 where he says, Jesus, I recognize that you're a man sent from God because no one can do the things that you do unless he's from God. Now she's starting to get it. And she goes on and gives something that doesn't seem to connect with us. She says, our fathers, meaning Samaritans, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. That's Mount Gerizim that they would have been able to see from where they were. The Samaritans worshipped God at the place where Abraham had originally offered a sacrifice in, Roman, in Genesis chapter 12. But you say, Jesus, that Jerusalem, you're a Jew, you say Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. That's where the temple was. So Jesus, what is it? Could you answer me? You are a prophet from God. Jesus says to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming. When neither on this mountain nor on in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Hear what Jesus is saying? Something is coming. Something is happening. The hour is coming when both mountains, the mountain you you worship at and the worship, the, where the Jews come in Jerusalem, they're going to become obsolete. You won't go to their, those places to worship God. Some, he says, and by the way, you have it wrong. The, the Samaritans have it wrong. It is through the Old Testament scriptures that the Jews were carrying on. That's where the truth is found. But those truths preach to something greater that has come and is now here. And look with me at verse 23, but the hour is coming and is now here. Jesus talks that way throughout this letter, he is, and throughout this gospel. He is speaking and saying, something is here, but it's still coming. Something is here, the hour is coming, and is now here. And Jesus is here, and he will go, and if you remember John 2... Remember John 2? I'm going to take you back there in your mind for a minute. Jesus is at a wedding. They're without any wine. It's a great scandal. And the mother of Jesus comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, there is no wine. And Jesus says, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Jesus is referring to what if you do a search throughout hour in the Gospel of John, you're going to see Jesus is referring the hour will be the hour in which he will be glorified. The time in which he is going to go to the cross, in which he's going to die and he's going to pour out his life. He is going to bleed and die and pay for the sins of all who would believe on him. He says the hour is coming and is now here. He will go and be lifted on a cross. He will provide forgiveness of sins. He will open the way to access to the Father. He's going to be the true temple. He says, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. And oh, we should stop here and go, God the Father right now in this story is seeking a worshiper. An immoral, constantly divorced, outcast, 
of Samaria, a half-breed people that the Jews never recognized or would have any associations, God the Father is lovingly reaching down and saying, I'm seeking a worshiper, this woman, to be mine. He does that here. He says, God is a spirit, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman says, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all these things. And friends, we should take note and sit still and circle it and think about it. When Jesus said in his first declaration of clearly who he is in this gospel, Jesus clearly says to her, I am who speak to you, am he. I am Messiah. I am the Christ. Jesus, who God sent to save the world, reveals to an outcast Samaritan woman, I am he. Now, we go back to the story and go to verse 27. By which, but where I'm going to pick up next week, and we're going to talk about the conversation between Jesus and the disciples. The disciples come back. They marvel that he was talking with a woman, a Samaritan woman, but no one said, why do, what do you seek, or why are you talking to her? They, they didn't have guts to say that. So the woman left her jar. She no longer needed her water jar. There was something way more important. She's headed back to town. She found real living water. Why, go, why stay there? She went back to town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Can this be the Messiah? And they went out of town and they were coming to Jesus. Come see the man who told me I ever, ever, all the things I did. And meanwhile, the disciples are urging him, Jesus, won't you eat? And Jesus says, I have food that you do not know about. So the disciples said to him, has someone brought him food? And Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That's what he was doing with the woman. And then Jesus says to the disciples, do you not say there are four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields. They're white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows, the other reaps. I send you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. And we see that Jesus is speaking about a harvest. Jesus came into the world not to condemn the world, but in order that the world through him might be saved. Now, we get an end of this story. It's, we, there was a Samaritan revival. Look at the revival in verses 39 to the end of the section. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. The right, he said, look, the fields are white unto harvest. See this? Look what's happening in these towns. You were just passing through. No, we had a, God the Father has a different plan. It says they believed the woman's testimony. 
He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they asked him to stay with him, and he stayed with there two days, and many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. Let me, for just a few minutes, briefly point out to you many, the many-faceted glory of Jesus from this story. Glories that will change your life, need to be changing your life, and I pray that would cause you this afternoon, this week, the rest of this year, to rejoice in God and His grace. I got 10 of them, and now you're going to get worried, 10 points. Now, people tell preachers, don't do 10-point sermons. You need to have two or three-point sermons. But I, I had three-point sermons the last two weeks. Can anybody tell me my three points from last week? Probably nobody. And so you won't remember 10 points, but you might remember one or two. And your heart might sing with joy and find yourself this week clinging to him and thankful to him. So I'm going to briefly just bring out these reflections, these responses. I call it many faceted glories of Jesus as we reflect on this glorious story that I just slowly read and explained. Here are 10 things that came out to me. They, I pray that they, you would write some of them down. You'll see them on the screen. Maybe there'll be one or two that will really hit you. Number one, Jesus entered into our humanity and he to take our pain while still being fully God. If you just ponder this passage, it just hit me as I was reading this. Oh, do you see how Jesus isn't just 100% man, and then he's less than that as a deity, as God. He's 100% man, 100% God. Jesus comes and he's wearied by his journey. How can, how can Jesus, who made the universe, be weary? Who bears the universe by the word of his power, be weary? And he's weary and he sits by a well and he needs a drink. Because he became man in order to sympathize with our weaknesses and to be able to be a high priest and to be able to be the sacrifice for humanity's sin. But do you see also he's God in this? You see it very clearly when he says to the woman, no, yeah, you speak right. You don't have a husband, but you had five. He knew. How did he know? Jesus had to be a man so that he could identify with us, suffering in our place, sympathizing with us in our weakness, and Jesus had to be truly God, that he could be satisfy God's wrath and secure for us true righteousness in life. Oh, believe that. If you believe that, you are saved. If you believe it with your heart and you trust in him. Number two, if Jesus asks something from you, he's doing it. He's asking to actually give you something. Think, I want you to ponder this. If Jesus asks you for something and he asks you for a lot, Jesus says, 
you must lay down your life and follow him. Jesus asks you, tells you to believe on him. Jesus, we saw at the end of last chapter, to obey him. Jesus has demands. John Piper wrote a whole book. It's a thick book like this, and it just lists and explains the demands of Jesus has for the world. He makes a lot of demands. Jesus came to the woman and said, give me something to drink. He asked her for something. But when he asked her, he was actually asking her because he intended to give to her way more than she could ever even fathom to give him. And friends, that is the nature of God and his grace through Jesus Christ. He asks you to follow him. He asks you to surrender, to die to self, to look to him. But he gives you more. He's asking to give you. Come to me, he says, all you who are weary and labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me. You're going to have to follow me and go with me. But my load is easy and light and I am gentle and I will bring rest for your soul. Behold the glory of Jesus. And number three, Jesus befriends himself to outcasts, disgraced, and messed up people. Oh, guys, Faith Church is and must always be, will be, a church befriended by Jesus who were in many ways outcasts, disgraced, and messed up people. We are all messed up people. And Jesus in this story reminds us that it does not matter race or religious background or sin record. Jesus came to this woman, to the Samaritan woman, to this sexual sinner who was disgraced. And maybe you feel that way this morning. In some ways you feel you are not in. You are on the outsides. You are lonely and unacceptable. doesn't matter. Oh, it, the, Jesus befriends loves. This is the way of God from the Old Testament to the New. Jesus chooses, God chooses Israel and says, I'm going to choose a weak people and make them my people. And as we get closer to Christmas, I love doing this. Go to Matthew chapter 1 and read the genealogies of Matthew chapter 1 and just circle every woman that's in the genealogies. By the way, in Jewish genealogies, women weren't supposed to be there, but they are in Matthew chapter 1. There's a purpose for that. And what do you get in these genealogies? You have outcast, disgraced, shamed women. You got Tamar of Genesis 20, 38, who had committed incest, became the, father, the ancestor of Jesus. Rahab, a, a prostitute in Jericho, from Joshua chapter 2. Ruth, a Moabite woman, non-Jew, poor and widow, disgraced. Bathsheba, the one who committed adultery with David. And the list concludes with a, Beth, a woman, Mary, who was accused of being immoral because she's pregnant and not married. But we know the story. You might feel very insignificant. You might feel ashamed, disgraced by others. Not a person who fits in or is cool or bright or one who's arrived 
like this woman, Jesus comes and he welcomes himself to you. He befriends you. And friends, if he has done that, how can you not look at anyone and despise them? How can any of us look down at people who look worse than us, act worse than us, and think that we aren't called to bring a ministry of love and Jesus' grace into their lives? Number four, Jesus offers something better than we could ever imagine. Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew, if you knew this gift, eternal life and adoption as children, if only you knew you're coming to waters that you're going to just get thirsty and thirsty again because you're just going to have to keep coming back. If you only knew the gift of God, if you knew that I offer you to come and drink and drink and drink and be satisfied in me. Oh, he wants us to know this. We are to dig, look at this passage and think that God in Jesus offers us new life and salvation and family with God and forgiveness and reconciliation with him and with a family with God's people, eternal life, working all things for our good. Page after page of this book that reveals his will to us, including his promises to us, the Holy Spirit that works in us and helps us, prayer that we can have at any moment in our lives to go to him. If you knew the gift, it's better than you can imagine. Number five, Jesus is sufficient to deliver what he just offered. If you knew the gift of God and him who is asking you, if you knew who he is, he is sufficient. It's a beautiful word connected to Jesus. Sufficient Jesus. He is enough for you. He is enough for your salvation. He is enough to meet your needs. Jesus is enough to help you in all your troubles. And he's going to say, I am enough. When the woman said to her, who are you? are you? Do you even have a bucket and a rope to get the water from the well? You don't have anything in front of you. Saying, I have it. And you're not, you're not sufficient. She questioned that. And Jesus says, if only you knew. The woman would say, the well is deep. You don't have a rope and a bucket. How can you do this? Jesus is going to say, I create buckets. I create streams of mountains and water and gravity that causes things. The dynamic of a well and a living well, it's all from me. The laws of gravity, the laws of nature, they're all sustained by the word of my power. He's sufficient, friends. He can, for you, nothing that you face is too difficult for him. He knows your sorrows and needs. He knows them far better than you could even imagine them. He is the great physician who offers himself to you. And number six, Jesus is greater than anyone or anything we could come to for help. We get in, our, we get in situations, whether you are a student, young or older, whether you're a parent, young or older, whether you're in work or older, whether you're married or single or divorced or widow or widowered, no matter whether you're 
senior citizen. We get into trouble and we need help. And when we get to the right place, we, we go to resourceful people. There is no one more resourceful and competent and willing and necessary than Jesus. Jesus is greater than anyone you could go. She says, this woman says, are you greater than Jacob? He brought us this well that we could have and our ancestors. Jesus saying, oh, if you only knew. I created Jacob. It was, it was I and my father who called his grandfather Abraham and made a covenant with him. He didn't, she didn't, he didn't say all that, but he could have. And it is, it is Jesus who is greater and we come to him. And Jesus says, I believe as a fulfillment of the prophetic word in Isaiah 55, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread or your labor, that which does not satisfy? Listen, come to me. I will satisfy. Number seven, Jesus knows our darkest secret, our every sin and deepest shame, and offers grace. He says, Come see the man. She says to the Samaritan village, Come see the man that told me everything I ever did. She was broken. She was exposed. She was opened up by Jesus. And she would say, he told me everything I ever did. He knows it and it didn't matter. The sin in your life, friends, he knows your darkest secrets. He knows the very last secret you haven't been able to even tell your spouse. He knows the pains. He knows your worst sin. He knows your thoughts and the shame that you might be hiding and feeling. The sin in your life, the secrets, the things you're holding back, he knows and he cares about you. He knows your secrets. He knows that you are a greater sin that you even know yourself to be. He knows your thoughts and your words. He's watched you do or think things that no other human being has ever saw or saw you think. Things that would bring absolutely terror and shame if we put it on a screen. You know what it is in your life. Jesus knows. And he offers grace. He comes to her and says, I know and it's still okay. I'm making you a worshiper of my Father, which brings us to the next one. Jesus on the cross brings us to the Father that we would worship him forever. If you dig into that passage, which we don't have time to spend on, when Jesus says, you worship on one mountain, I worship on another mountain, but the time is coming and it's now here that you will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Jesus is saying, I am the temple that is coming to bring people. You'll go through me to come to the Father. 
And I will be the sacrifice provided for you to come acceptably to the Father. I will die on the cross. I am the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It is me that will bring you into fellowship with the Father. And by the way, you'll be able to call him Father. You couldn't call him Father, but now you call him Father because he adopts himself to you. And he has made you and he pledges himself to ever for to you forever because he loved the world that he gave his only son number 9 this is next week's sermon jesus has called us to the work of gathering fruit for eternal life by proclaiming him jesus is going to give a little sermon to his disciples I have food that you don't even know about. I have a work I'm doing for the Father. And by the way, you're called to it. Look around. There's a harvest. Look around. I'm saving people. Look around. You have a message. And we find in this, I just, again, Jesus calls us to this work, friends. He did not save you so that you could just enjoy a mansion of grace and just sit back and watch the world go to hell. He saved you so that you could arm yourself with the glories of grace, rejoicing and living in this life as a pilgrim, bringing his grace to other people. Anything else is a wasted life. And the tenth thing is just what Jesus, what we find at the end, the testimony of this Samaritan crowd as they come in and say, we believe you. Not just because we believe what the woman said, but we see with our eyes and we see that he is the savior of the world. Number 10, Jesus is the promised Messiah and the savior of the world. Jesus is God's answer for us. Jesus is God. Jesus is God's answer for us. He's his answer for you. And I'm not just speaking a salvation message to those that happen to be lost and not saved or non-Christians in this room. I'm speaking to all of you. Our hearts should never stop, but should be beating with this joyful reality. He has done this for me. My life is meant for gratitude. My obedience springs from this hope and this Mercy, I can come to him with my sins, my secret sins, and he will find grace. I can come to him, and his gift is better than I could ever imagine. If you knew the grace, if you knew. Friends, if you knew, if you knew these things, if you know these things, they make a difference. If you know that Jesus has entered into our humanity, took our sins and our pain, and yet he is always God. And if you knew that Jesus asks something from you, but will offer and give you way more than he ever asks and takes. And if you knew that Jesus befriends the greatest of outcasts and disgraced and messed up people. And if you knew that Jesus offers something better than you, could ever imagine and that he is sufficient to deliver and that he's greater than anyone you could come to for help and that he knows in spite of knowing all your darkest secrets and your deepest shame and your greatest sins every one of them and that on the cross he brought you to the father and brought redemption 
and he's sent you on a mission, the mission that declares he is the Christ. He is the Savior of the world. If you knew that, if you knew that, it will change you. If you know it by the work of the Holy Spirit, it will ignite you. Oh, may God make us worshipers of him. Worshippers on a Sunday morning, week after week, and worshipers day by day in our lives. Worship team, would you come as we finish with, with worship and song and response, as we sing and give praise to him, as we call on him about his strength and kindness. Oh God, would you, would you bring in, would you welcome in, would you... Cause young and old this morning to call on the name of the Lord and be saved. And when they, if they are saved, they would continue to call on the name of the Lord with praise and confidence and gratitude. For some, I pray, that have wandered from this love, have grown cold. Or have been sleepy, falling asleep to the things of God. I pray that you would rouse them up, warm them up. Help us to drink of you. Oh, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.